Welcome to the Train Ride Podcast, presented by CTS, a podcast about furthering human performance in endurance sports. Former pro cyclist, Olympian coach, and visionary entrepreneur, Chris Carmichael, founded CTS 20 years ago as the first world-class online coaching solution built to deliver results to pro and amateur athletes. Chris and his team of 50-plus certified coaches are completely driven by innovation and catalyzing new levels of success for thousands of athletes they coach daily. Whether you're a pro or a dedicated time-crunched amateur, you're about to learn exactly what's working best today and what's not to get faster, stronger, and achieve your goals from the most experienced team of coaches working in endurance today. This episode of the Train Right Podcast is brought to you by Stages Cycling, the industry leader in accurate, reliable, and proven power meters and training devices. Stages Cycling offers the widest range of power meter makes and models to fit any bike, any drivetrain, and any rider, all manufactured in their Boulder, Colorado facility. They've expanded their offerings to include the Stages Dashline of innovative and intuitive GPS cycling computers covering a full range of training and workout-specific features to make your workouts go as smooth as possible. And for 2020, Stages is applying its decade of indoor cycling studio expertise to the new Stages Bike Smart Trainer. Check out their latest at stagescycling.com and use coupon code CTS20OFF, all caps at checkout, for 20% off. This episode is also brought to you by ESI Grips. As coaches here at CTS, we spend many hours on the bike working with athletes at training camps, making the bike equipment we choose to use extremely important. We need equipment that's high quality and built to last. This is why we choose to ride with ESI Grips. Their RCT wrap and mountain bike grips are made in the USA and provide us with the superior comfort, grip, and durability we depend on. We've put ESI grips to the test on long switchback descents, roads riddled with potholes, rough gravel races, and techie Colorado mountain bike trails, and we've always been left impressed. Our friends at ESI grips are giving you 35% off your order with coupon code TRAINRIGHT, all caps. Head over to esigrips.com to get your discount and see why we love their grips so much. This episode of the Train Right Podcast is also brought to you by Pure Clean Performance, the industry leader in premium, great-tasting, beet-infused performance and recovery formulas. Get all of the stamina and endurance benefits of beet juice powder any way you like it. Their physician-formulated products include Beatums Chocolate Sports Chews, Chocoberry Blast Superfood Blend, Pure Clean Powder Organic Beet Juice Powder, and Invita Brew Performance Coffee and learn more about the Pure Clean Performance Club, a -a one-of-a-kind membership program where you can save 33% off of their formulas and anywhere from 20 to 50% off of professional supplements, brand name endurance gels, powders and bars, organic natural foods, lab assessments, and discounts off of performance and health coaching, gear, recovery devices, and more. Check out all of the details of this offer at purecleanperformance.com slash membership and use the code CTS120, all caps, 
to save 33% off your first year's membership dues. Hey everyone, Adam here. Uh, Before we get into our episode, I just want to say a few things. I I didn't know Sarah Crowley before this interview, and we hopped on Zencaster and just went over a few bullet points uh, beforehand, and and it was just, we were chatting as well, and it was just super fun, just automatically connected with her, and um, she's, she's really rad. Not only that, I mean, she is top level you know, world champion, uh, multiple, uh, Ironman, uh, championships underneath her race belt and an endurance legend. She's been doing this for quite some time. And we talk about how all that happened. We talk about the history. We talk about her training, her ups and downs. And we talked about how she made some really big changes in order to take it to that next level. Now we talk about flow and, and how to win and, and, uh, it's a really cool interview. So I, I think, I think you'll really enjoy it. Meanwhile, we do talk about a cool little uh, challenge that one of her sponsors is putting out here this week. And so be sure to listen through the whole episode and into the very end because there's a little um, guest appearance by Jeremiah Bishop to talk about the DIY try that is happening here uh, September and October. So if anyone is looking for a new challenge to partake in before the end of the year, definitely do that. Uh, But for now, ladies and gentlemen, Sarah Crowley. Welcome back or welcome to the Train Right Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Pulford. Today, we've got an awesome guest that I'm really stoked about. Sarah Crowley. Sarah, can you introduce yourself a bit more to our audience? Hi, everyone. I guess it's morning. Good morning from me here in Australia. Yeah, good morning. Yeah. <laughs> I um. Yeah, my name's Sarah Crowley. I'm a yeah professional long course triathlete. I've had multiple wins in Ironman, I guess now, um, which is pretty amazing. I've spent sort of fifteen to twenty years in the sport, but. Um, probably people only know my recent stuff, which will cover a little bit more of my history today, hopefully, but yeah, I'm Australian, um, and really love triathlon, <laughs> although I hate to say that. <laughs> I probably don't tell people that I actually love it, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? I don't know. I guess it's a bit, I guess it's a bit corny. <laughs> love my yeah. job <laughs> yeah <laughs> corny's corny school though corny school I, I just i'd own it if i were you yeah <laughs> well so everyone sarah as you've kind of heard in my intro sarah is an endurance legend and we'll get more into her history and how she did it but before we do sarah i, I was reading your bio online and I, I loved it because it starts out as sunshine with a little hurricane yeah. what does that mean well, I always have a bit of trouble describing myself. I mean, you need, I mean, ev- there's a lot of athletes, right? So, you, you know, everyone has to kind of discover your own brand or, or whatever. And I guess for me, it's being a little bit edgy. And so, yeah, that kind of, that kind of phrase stuck out to me as kind of, um, just a bit edgy. I, I, I think I'm a nice person, but when it comes down to the business, I'll, uh, yeah, give it everything I've got. So there's definitely, um, in Australia, we call it mongrel. There's some mongrel there when I race, um, which I think kind of fits well with that that phrase. So, yeah, that's where that comes from. I think it sits well with me. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I would say so. I mean, it definitely speaks to your racing style for sure, for sure. Well, let's let's talk about how that all came to be. 
let's let's talk about kind of your origin and if if you want to let's let's go back to little Sarah growing up. I mean, what was childhood like? What I mean, were you always running and swimming and biking or yeah, were you I mean, doing something else? In Australia, I mean, we don't have very many people here, so um, yeah. <laughs> this is how I usually talk about this. I mean, there's only, I mean, when I was young, maybe less than 20 million people in Australia. So it's a pretty small country, even though our continent's really massive. And yeah. um, it's sport. Well, I guess if you wind it back even further, I think we hosted an Olympics in the 50s and uh, we didn't do very well. And then from there, we developed an institute of sport and sport just became everything to everyone um and I think globally you know through the 90s like you know basketball was getting huge and everything else so uh, sport was just a big thing but because there wasn't so many people I guess you played every sport field teams (laughs) for me I guess I mean real early days I probably enjoyed I was always did running from sort of the start of high school so that's like 12 years old I did early morning running group Mm -hmm. Um, and even before that, I did swimming. In Australia, swimming is like a must-do. Um, there's programs everywhere, so everyone learns to swim. Um, I didn't learn very good, but I did swim <laughs> at the time. Um, but you know, it helped me for later, I think. And then I guess, yeah, through school, high school, it was mostly running as my sort of preferred thing, but I did do I did play softball and basketball and pretty much everything. Um, I actually played more American sports. Like in Australia, netball is a big thing, but uh, I just wasn't really that interested. So I played basketball. I think it was just I felt more active. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I, I was just always on the go. Um, Thanks, Mum and Dad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. Couldn't have done it without them. What kind of? So were you competing then? Like, say, running and what distances? was that and recompeted in swimming? Yeah, I mean, we I it's interesting you say this. I've had this discussion with my brother about why I've been able to stay in triathlon so long or sport in general and mm-hmm. and keeping refreshed and everything. And I think I was never pressured with my running. So um at school we did early morning running. I'd probably run from 12 years old like 30 to 40 kilometers a week. So for a long time I've ran, but yeah. we were never on any pressure. We only did events um there was these, it's so funny now to look back, but there were like proper endurance events for uh, for kids. Like we would do a 100-kilometer relay. So basically wow. once a year, yeah, you train for it. Um, once a year you'd team up with four other athletes, four other kids, and you'd run um, in total 100 kilometers for the day. So I think it was four lots of five kilometers each. Um yeah, it was pretty cool. So we'd do that through the Adelaide. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and so I guess I mean that's a lot for that's a that's a half marathon for sort of. <laughs> it's a lot for a twelve year old. <laughs> yeah, I know. And at the time, or even now, it's only just occurred to me as we're speaking about it. I'm like, oh yeah, maybe that's why. It develops develops some endurance back then, I guess. Yeah, and I think mentally it helped. Like, what twelve year old? Totally. What twelve year old runs half marathon? But I guess yeah, you know, like I guess. Like, so we did that. We Sarah Crowley, ladies and gentlemen. Like just realizing. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, we also did other um, events and track and field or whatever. But um, yeah, for me, 
it wasn't super competitive. It was more just building the engine, I guess, now, looking back on it. Um, yeah. I always just enjoyed it. I never missed it. Um, and so I guess that, you know, does build a big base for, for later on. Yeah, 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 for sure. And as as we know, I mean, as a coach, I would I would make the argument that most athletes overlook how long it takes to really build a huge base, a, a proper engine, so to speak. So, you know, being exposed, um, you know, at a young age to that endurance mindset and also development, I mean, that's a huge um, arrow in the quiver. So, especially under no uh, pressure. And by the way, yeah. we're talking those five Ks. We're looking at twenty four, twenty five minutes. Was like, wow, you ran really well today at mm-hmm. that event. Um, mm-hmm. And then you wind forward to when I kind of just got out of uni and I decided I wanted to run. Where I hadn't ran all through uni, I may have done some weights and stuff, but mostly I was focused, mm-hmm. full focus on my studies. And within a year, I'm dropped that down to like. 16 minute 5k so it's like something it did something <laughs> yeah mm. yeah yeah okay so when did you when did you pick up the bike when did you start riding well so i hadn't ridden at all um and i pretty much only started like i said sort of once i left university i kind of watched a race down in adelaide which i seem to do every year that's my hometown um mm. it's at the bottom of australia i live like near the top right hand side um of the big country gotcha. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like I, I saw this race and I thought it was pretty cool. So I joined a a triathlon club and I think I'd bought a bike just before that though. So I was doing like a little bit, but yeah, I'm talking maybe 19, 20 years old. I hadn't ridden a bike until then. Um, so it was all very new to me. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you, when did you start to get exposed to, uh, triathlon and putting all three together? Oh, geez. So that year, I guess, um, yeah, I think I was, I must have been in first year at my accounting firm, the accounting firm that I worked for. So I'd finished university, I'd started working. And I think mm-hmm. it must be 2003, 2004, something like this. And um, oh. yeah, I guess I just um, trained with a group and I didn't do an actual event until I was like a little bit long, maybe uh, six months into it or something. Gotcha. Mm. And were you peer pressured like a lot of us into doing your first try, or was it? Oh, it wasn't like this is what I'm going to do. Um. Well, I was having a lot of fun, so I just it was just an event. I just chose to do it. I think. I mean, yeah. I had a really good coach. He was probably like super good with energy systems, and he was very, very. He had coached an Olympian to a gold medal, actually, a weightlifting gold medal back in the eighties. Um, but he, he loved try and um, mm-hmm. he was just really theoretically brilliant. Um, and so training was always a lot of fun because he had obviously put a lot of thought into the program. So you, you actually progressed um, mm-hmm. quite quickly because, yeah, he had put thought into, into everything. And I think that, yeah, I guess that encouraged me. And so then, yeah, when there's an event, it was like, yeah, that was fun, I think. But so much to learn in triathlon far out. I don't remember any faux pas or silly things I did in that race, but I'm sure I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Those of us who have done triathlon, we we probably shouldn't realize how many things we did improperly in the first (laughs) time, but, (laughs) but you excelled quite, quite quickly from there. Um, Tell us, tell us how, say do your, your first triathlon 
into getting invited to, I think it was what, the national team um, yeah. to, start co- to compete? Yeah, so I think by 2000, so I was working this whole time. So um, I'm a chartered accountant. So I worked in corporate finance at Deloitte. Um, mm-hmm. and so I was pushing my career pretty hard because this was like the first few years that you start working. Um, but by 2007, I was, so sort of three years, two to three years, um, I'd gone, well, I'd gotten the points or whatever to go to the age group world championships. And I, apart from having a real big mistake in that race, like ridiculously huge, um, around my transition, which probably would have meant that I'd won the race, um, quite easily. I actually ended up fourth, um. What'd you do? Oh, I ran the whole way to the end of the transition before because I got uh, back before. I was so f- fast that I got back before um, they our age group was going to be back. So I caught the next age group and they were down the other end of transition. So I, I don't know what happened, but I thought I had to multi-loop the transition. I don't understand what I did, but I messed up. And it was like yeah. four minutes. <laughs> In transition because it was in Hamburg, that long transition down the the altar in Hamburg. Anyway, so so anyway, that's rough. Yeah, when I got back, like I realized that it didn't matter. The result was the result. I knew that I was at the level. Um, in that field, by the way, was like Annie Hag and like Camilla Pedersen. I think it was. If you have a look back, it's quite an interesting race. (laughs) Um. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, like I just knew from there that I was ready to kind of step into try something a bit more professional. One of the other athletes that I'd trained with had moved recently to Queensland at that time. Um, and most, I mean, mostly everyone trains in Queensland because it's that, I guess it would be like Florida maybe where it's kind of the same or San Diego. It's kind of like warm mm-hmm. all year round. You can train all the time. Um, and so, yeah, I thought I may as well give it a go. Um I don't know. I was really enjoying it and I thought I, there was a lot more I could achieve, I felt. So, yeah, I I kind of trained for about a month with um, the uh, as like a test basis up here in Queensland with the Q- Queensland Academy of Sport and then um, I decided to move up. So from 2008 onwards I was full-time professional doing short course triathlon. Um, How old were you then, sir? Oh. Oh, so that's an interesting point. So basically, I must have been twenty-four. Yeah, that's right. And that was like I was just out of under twenty-three, so I didn't have the opportunity. I was a little late coming to it, so I I kind of yeah. missed that chance to kind of get in the system early. Um, mm-hmm. so I had to work pretty hard then to like achieve what you needed to to actually get ranked and everything else. So it was a kind of always going to be a two to three year process. Um, yeah, because those girls you mentioned, I mean, they were racing much earlier, right, than you. Yeah. You a little bit later. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, because for me, the upskilling time took the those years of the junior stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I guess, I guess that time spent, yeah, pretty much just building up ITU points for at least the first year or so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you're working in, in, I mean, you're working a proper job too. I mean, corporate uh, with Deloitte. I mean, how was, as you're kind of 
you had this goal in mind, how did you balance it all? And when did you make that decision to be like, Hey, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a proper go. Yeah. I think I just, um, I, well, I, I'm always, I'm pretty full gas. Like I try and achieve as much as possible every single day. So it's a problem. Like even now, like I have to learn <laughs> to stop. Um, so, real shocking to me. Real shocking. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Triathletes, right? Um, yeah, exactly. I, I fit the mold. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like I guess initially I, I was just balancing it by having – in Adelaide, I mean, for one thing, in Adelaide, it's not as congested in the city and stuff. So getting around and it's a really well-structured city. So for me, oh, it the it sort of just worked. Like I was quite efficient. At, um, yeah, and my boss is super accepting of it. He loved it. I think he thought that, you know, it showed everyone that you can do a lot of things because I won a, mm-hmm. an award actually for being able to manage all of that, um, you know, being able to train every day and um still you know come to work and have these like two sides to me um so i won the national deloitte businesswoman of the year actually in 2006 wow. while i was did not know that that's huge <laughs> yeah it was actually at the time so yeah. um yeah that was pretty cool um and then yeah they were always supportive so right up until 2016 i was on little leave of absences and things from Deloitte every time I left to, to race. So they were, I was always employed by them, even though I wasn't in the office. Um, so That support though is it's super important for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen other, so being in corporate finance, obviously you see other businesses and other people and how they've tried to manage it. And it's not easy. Like also mm-hmm. some of my time when I went, post ITU I was of um I went back and trained in clubs and you see other people's struggles with um training and managing training with family and work and everything else so for me I just yeah I was very lucky I think with my workplace and always having people that thought they understood um and I think that comes from the culture in Australia I mean sport is huge everyone loves it so much so Less so now, though, which is a shame. But yeah, it's um, it's always very well supported, which was good for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that support allowed you the time and go back to like two thousand eight through ten. I mean, you had mm. a lot of success in shorter course ITU draft legal racing. Yeah, I think um, I, I you know like looking back on it now, I wish I could have achieved so much more. Like obviously now that we'll get to it, but I can swim. But then I guess I, you know I was constantly progressing until a point where it was just clearly obvious that you know it was going to take an effort to to change the swim. Um, we couldn't just get fitter anymore, and that that would make up for it. Um, mm-hmm. so I guess yeah. it was a decision point. I had Deloitte going, Oh, do you want to come back to work soon in Brisbane? And I was mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah. And I had a couple with the small injury at the time. You're like, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that's kind of, so it was like, you had to push more chips in. You had an injury and right around 2010, that's, that's when you went back to kind of more full-time work yeah like we got up to the world series and then i was just getting like i wasn't getting lapped out i actually can say i never was lapped out of a race which i'm proud of yeah. 
Um, yeah, for sure. That's I don't think I'd let it happen. I'd just fight on. <laughs> I was like, no, you're not kidding me. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's still, it was never, it just weren't quite there. If something went wrong, it went really wrong for me. So, because I just didn't have any, um, there's just no leniency for me in, in a race. Everything was tight because of that swim. So yeah, it was, um, real challenging, but it, you know, I got to the point where I felt like perhaps I'd couldn't go any further unless we made a big investment in swimming and I didn't know how to mm-hmm. do that at the time. Oddly enough, this is oddly enough, and Cameron, my coach, Cameron Watt, would yeah. tell me this because I was friends with him then. <laughs> He's like, I know a guy that could fix this. <laughs> and that being, <laughs> that was probably Brett um, Sutton at the time. And I just always wonder what would have happened had I s- responded to his Facebook message <laughs> with, oh, yeah, actually, let's, I'll do that. But I think I'd already had it in my head that I wanted to return to work. And in the yeah. end, I think it's extended my career. Like, that's like COVID, right? Like, I think yeah. we need to take yeah. these opportunities to, like, let the head just go do something else for a bit um, and not be sure. so focused on triathlon. Yeah. So, well, let's let's talk about that for a quick minute. I mean, you, you, you took that time. Um, you're still, I assume you're still training and, uh, maybe <laughs> towed the line of, of something from 2010 to 12, but what was that time like for you? Was it just like a good hard reset or what kind of, what were you doing then? Yeah. I mean, I think I was feeling a little lost. I, I didn't know, like I needed to go back to work. I felt like I wanted to push my career a little bit. Um, and I don't even know why, probably because I'd spent all this time educating myself in it and <laughs> and the, I enjoyed my job. So yeah. I'm curious. The mining boom was going big here, like there was interesting work on. Um, yeah, so I kind of – and I enjoyed the people. I really liked the people in my firm. So I guess, yeah, I get went back to work. Um, I kind of – yeah, I was a bit lost. I tried a bit of just pure running for a little bit. Um and yeah, I took up cycling because the the firm actually had a cycling team. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and we had quite a really good girl in it actually. Her name's Grace Salzberger. Her brother raced Tour de France. In fact, now he runs Zwift in Australia. Um, oh, yeah, crazy. in Australia, everybody by the way knows everybody. So because <laughs> there's only twenty million of us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> only twenty. <laughs> but. <laughs> But, yeah, so I, I ended up helping in the team, like helping her, and that that sort of, I guess, ramped my riding up a little bit from that. I, I, I did actually become a lot stronger. Um, I didn't realise with my cycling that uh, even now I'm grateful for it. I never feel like I'm doing a cycling block. Either it's because I really enjoy cycling or that I think naturally I just pick it up and build muscle really quite quickly. So, um yeah, cycling for me has always been just the, well, I'm quite lucky, but it always just comes together. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can honestly tell you, I don't think I feel like I've had, I mean, there's been times we've done a lot of cycling and it's been, wow, riding again, but it's never like, oh, I need to address my cycling. Um, yeah, are we going to spend? Yeah, that's, that's fortunate because I've had some athletes that you know, great swimmers and uh, you know, actually good runners as well, but like 
they just, it's like pulling teeth to get them to do the long ride or whatever. So, I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you're lucky in that regard too. Yeah. I think just the, and then the, whatever we do seems to work and yeah, yeah, I'm quite lucky. So I guess during that time I was like, well, maybe this will be interesting to try a long course at some point. And at the, and mm-hmm. I also almost immediately joined a triathlon club because I knew I enjoyed the training and I chose one that had, this is probably a little tidbit for people, but one that had like a good track session, a lot of swimming session options and a good social slash still want to perform type culture. So I took a bit of time picking that, but um, yeah, we've got this big club here called Red Dog Triathlon Training. They're, they're so cool. Um, and so I pretty much joined that club almost as soon as I went back to work just because, yeah, just enjoyed enjoy having that, I guess, routine and structure um, to my day and having and exercise. You always have exercise as part of your life. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess I kind of just did that. It was more social for me. It was a reset. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. So, 2012. What made you? What made you decide to come back? Um, pressure. That was peer pressure, actually, from the. Red <laughs> okay, now the peer pressure comes in. Yeah, that means you were with a good group for sure. <laughs> yeah, that was from the training squad. Yeah, definitely. So. <laughs> Yeah, and then it was like I did a, I think I did a half in the end of eleven. I did a half at Port Macquarie, and I did it like ITU style in like togs, and I ran like thirty seven minutes for the first ten k's, and like fifty five minutes for the second ten k's. And it was like fourth, <laughs> and no one was the wiser that I even did the race. And I realized I just needed to kind of like focus a bit more on the different it's a different uh energy system <laughs> is what I realized so you know I, I then buckled down I did a like a local Gundawindi Hell of the West up here and I, I won that race and then six months later I won Ironman 70.3 cans as a professional mm-hmm. and so I guess, that's a big yeah, result for you for sure yeah it was at the time like I couldn't believe it um but then, well, then I got a bit of an itch for it, but I couldn't devote the amount of time required. So I spent sort of four years mm-hmm. just, oh, it was so funny. So I'm like going into my boss's office going, can I have uh, an extra day off either side of the weekend, which doesn't flow that well in corporate finance because you're on projects. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's like can imagine. I'm going to South Korea. <laughs> And I, I'd flew into a race, like I'd actually fly into a race on a Friday. I'd be on some bus driving through Korea or somewhere like this and I'd get to the race venue on like Saturday afternoon, rack my bike, register, and then race the next day and then fly back. And so I was there for like less than 24 hours. So this was happening quite a bit. Um, <laughs> Work-life balance, Sarah. You probably didn't have it. <laughs> Just burning the can on both hands. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like I did that for quite some time because at that time as well, you, you're picturing like big jobs, big mining industry, boom, all this stuff going on. It was like pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it got to a point though where I was just kind of, um, this is towards the back end of 15. I think mm-hmm. I won like the Australian Duathlon Championship and then I won maybe a half, but I also then got like really crappy results in full Ironman. I tried my first full in 15. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say crappy. That's that's not fair. But for me, it wasn't at the level I could have performed at. 
uh, even with yeah. the amount of time I could devote to it. And then I guess um, I also wasn't focusing on it. You notice I was talking about halves and fulls and duathlon. I wasn't focusing on anything in particular with my racing. I was just all mm-hmm. over the place and doing marathons and all sorts of stuff. So I, I felt like I just needed some higher-level guidance if I was going to try and do it properly. Um, otherwise, it would be a lot of fourths and, wow, what an interesting story this chick works full-time. But I, I'm like, well, I can actually give this a lot more. I know that if I could actually improve my swim and give it one last go, then I've still got this epic run and this epic ride that could lift me to another level and so mm-hmm. yeah enter Cameron so <laughs> yeah I, I was gonna say because like if you watch if you follow your racing it seemed like 2016 a lot of things started to change and that's is that when you started working with Cameron yeah so at the end of 15 I had okay. a meeting with him and mm-hmm. um I started working to get like I said to him I don't care what it takes for this swim um like it's now or never. Um, I, I'm happy to just go with whatever you think and I'll, I'll give it everything I've got and just be straightforward with me and, and honest and direct and we'll, we'll see how far we can go. And so um, it's funny, you know, we do often nostalgically talk about come, some of the things we spoke at that, like, at that meeting. It's like, am I too old? All these things. It was funny. <laughs> so... Yeah, we pretty much, well, I was still working for the first part of that year, I think for half of it. Um, Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess this talks to your idea of life stress, but, I mean, trying to balance the sort of a trisado training methodology with working full-time, I think Cam did that really well. (laughs) Um, Yeah. For for those listeners, uh, before the interview, we were talking about TSS training stress, score versus LSS or life stress score. And we, we don't, we can't really measure LSS as much, but we know it's there, especially when you're burning not only the candle at both end, but the candle factory, like Sarah was doing this whole time. So, <laughs> but Cameron helped to uh, mitigate that, help you get focused and like completely change your training. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, we went through everything from like my outside influences to how does my work day look and, how can we manage it? And so we just went on a really straightforward training program for a few months there where it was just getting done what I could do. And also my workplace, I'd told them that I was going to leave at some point. And so, you know, we, I had a bit more, I guess I had a, a firm leaving time for the day. I think I had Wednesdays work from home. So we'd, we'd managed it pretty well. Um, but, yeah, the main thing, I guess, from him – so he'd just returned from like um, being a director of a cycling team. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd spent his time since I'd spoken to him last, which was you should go to this guy. He'll fix your swimming. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, he was always there. It's funny, you know, you look back. Like he helped me get my pro license with Ironman. Um, yeah, I think just hovering over there. Um, and I saw him coach a couple of people on the side do really well that I wouldn't have really expected their results to be so 
so good. So I was like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. And, you know, I was tossing up between a few different coaches at the time, but it just worked out that he wanted an on-deck squad in Brisbane right near me so that I'm like, well, this mm-hmm. works super well. Yeah, that makes sense. And, yeah. the, and then when I got down to more of it, the, the history there with Brett and, you know, some of the athletes that Chrissy Wellington, like Cameron's trained with Chrissy, he's trained, you know, he's seen a lot of um, – both short and long course um, athletes and, and, and some of the, the best in the sport. So, yeah, it became a pretty easy decision actually after a little bit. And then I guess um, we started the swim in about April, I think, in 16. And, oh, man, it was so bad. Like we – because I was your typical – What was bad? Well, I was like – I was a big kicker and I was your typical bent arms person with like yeah. low rating at the front. And then we changed it to like an egg beater where it's like zero kicking and crazy mm-hmm. arms at the front. And so, <laughs> and there were straight arms. And so the first time I swam, I think I went from like, I mean, I could probably make a 130 cycle then, but I went to like, yeah. couldn't even make 140 with paddles and gear on and everything. Just like with such a re-engineer of my stroke. But then within about a month, we raced in New Caledonia that year and I think I got third maybe, but my swim time was about the same. So I was like, even though it feels terrible and I don't feel good at it, I've stuck to it. I made a blanket decision that it was a new stroke. It's not I'm adapting my freestyle. I'm changed. This is a whole new stroke to me because it was so different and we changed everything. It's a new language. Yeah. Yeah, and we changed everything at once. So it was actually easier to learn it by calling it that a new stroke, like straight arms. I just called it that because in my head um, it was just learning something new. And so when the swim result from that race was not dissimilar to what it had been the like previous times I'd raced it, I was like, well, we're, we're not going worse. That's <laughs> um, true. Yep. Even yep. in a month. And so, oh, gosh, it took time. So by – you know, I guess we didn't really see that much gain in it. And then I had a big camp with Brett actually in Jeju before Kona. Somehow I managed to qualify for Kona in 16. I think I was third at Cairns. So things were improving. I started winning stuff. Um, probably, yeah, I guess we did a big camp in Jeju before Kona and you know, I got Brett and Cam on me at the same time looking at it and we made uh, – there I learned some new things that helped with the stroke and then, yeah, I kind of, I kind of broke out, I guess, at Bahrain at the end of the year because we came back from Kona and did a big swim block. Gotcha. Hmm. So while you were learning this new patterning of a swim, how how did you change or did you change at all the bike and run components oh, during your training blocks? That's a good question. Um Oh gosh, I'm thinking back now. I don't think. Yeah, it's it's been a minute, but. <laughs> yeah, four years ago. Um, yeah. Well, I feel like initially we didn't change anything with that. Like we pretty much, mm-hmm. I just kind of did the similar swim. I mean, we didn't swim the volume that we swim now, but then I wasn't ready for the volume, so now we yeah. swim six, sometimes seven k swim sets. Most days it's at least five and a half. Back then it was kind of like four. Um, mm. And we did all the things then that I would be doing now, probably not as compressed. So, um, you know, I guess it matches where I was at in my development, not just swimming. So, mm-hmm. um, 
It's interesting you say that. I look now at other athletes that come into the squad. Now, I don't at all resent it, but, you know, they learn a lot quickly compared to me because we've been through what we went through and people progress to different levels like a lot quicker than I feel like I did. So that's an interesting thing, hey. Um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. But like I see people go and they're, they're getting to say the volumes and the, the I guess, the technique stuff that we didn't put into my stroke. Um, they're getting that real early and they're actually improving a lot quicker than I did. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, I'm the one that's gone and I've achieved quite a lot from, from it, but it's fascinating to see that. I guess that's a testament to Cam as a coach being able to pick what was working and 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 then give that to others. So, yeah, and I'll say this: I mean, just as a coach, I mean, the I, I would probably rather take somebody who is a hard worker and maybe a slow developer rather than a fast developer, because oftentimes what I see with the fast developers, they put the time in, then they start getting results. It's like, see, I got this. Like. I don't need to do more necessarily as opposed to say you, you get challenged and you get the feedback of, man, this is really freaking hard. So you're going to work harder, but yet you've got a good coach to kind of motivate you, dial you back when you need to kick you in the butt when you need to. And I think it speaks to a little bit of your longevity as well in the sport. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's, you know, it's sort of my, I came back into it because I was, really wanted to see where I could get to and when that itch dries up that's when when it goes so I think yeah you're probably right Mm -hmm. like keeping that progression just just keep chipping away at it all the time I think will keep me there um yeah I mean I've even just recently I mean I'm jumping ahead but just recently with Sunshine Coast on the weekend um Mm -hmm. I mean by far I mean, I got fifteen percent gain in just getting a bit fitter and leaner. I'm not fit at all. It's, it's, <laughs> I've kind of enjoyed COVID, but, <laughs> but honestly, like I can see so much gain, and I don't know what we've done differently. Like the whole race went well, everything went to plan, and you know, you walk away going, "Wow, well, we can even make more gains still." Um, yeah, and that's what will keep me racing. So I guess that's probably yeah, a good observation, definitely for me. Um, yeah. 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 Well, let's go back to like the, the, the swim yeah. development. Um, cause it, you know, it took some time clearly from its strengths and weaknesses. You've always been a strong runner. Mm. You, the, the swim historically was not as strong. You guys identified that clearly in like race results. Right. And then you developed the swim and now you're, you're help swimmer, which is awesome. But I would say if you can think about how you and Cameron work, and I'd say bigger picture, what are your strengths and weaknesses as an athlete? And how do you incorporate that into your training program now versus back then? Meaning, um, are, are you more gritty? Are you more resilient? Or you know, do you gain fitness really quickly? Like you kind of just talked about, like what are the strengths and weaknesses just as a athlete in general yeah I mean I think I recover really well like that's probably I can back to back you'll see that in my career with racing like oh Cairns Frankfurt um Kona Argentina Kona Arizona like I back up really well um I recover super well from stuff so I guess 
I mean, that can be a weakness as well because then you can kind of like keep going. Um, yeah, true. Yeah. So, and then I often also, it's a weakness almost day to day with training too, because I have obviously this engine for running. I can push the run, um, quite a bit in training, um, because I know I'll back up, um, and mm-hmm. mentally I can do it too. So he has to constantly monitor me being like too full gas. Um, and that's, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, it's not intentional. I just get it. Sometimes I get in a mood and I just want to, I just shut everything out, um, and yeah. train like super hard. Um, I think Cam says uh, I always have this amazing ability to like compartmentalize stuff and just, you know, turn a bad situation into something that I can overcome. And that even happens in racing. So, for example, crashing in 17 Kona and then getting up and, um, you know, just still getting third. Like it, I, I do it on a daily basis. I just overcome stuff. I just don't, I don't, I don't dwell or get drawn into um, poor me, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So quite, I guess, hard in that regard. Um, I guess it comes from just always wanting to work hard for, you know, always feeling probably like it's probably come from the swim being bad and having to always overcome stuff for the rest of the race constantly. Um, and to me, those things aren't for sure. They're not difficult now because nothing is hard as hard as overcoming that swim gap. Um. Yeah, so I guess they're probably the main things. I think I do overdo everything in my life, though. Like I just always <laughs> on the go. So I love that about it's enjoyable. I get up every day. I'm excited. It's good. Um, but yeah, I probably could peg that back a bit. That's a weakness. Is just not really yeah. relaxing. Yeah, and as I sit here and listen to you as well, I think the the recovery and the resiliency coincides with uh, the running aspect and how you developed really young, right? You put yeah. the miles in early for a long time. And f- for somebody who hadn't done that, you know, whether it's, you know, a full distance or a hard training session or whatever uh, on the track, it's they're not going to bounce back as quickly. So if you have in those miles, it allows you to do that, say, in the training, but you're still human too. It's, you know, running training still going to beat you up. So uh, Yeah, you can take it for granted. That's probably, yeah. you know, it's like, well, oh, I guess if I want to do these five things today, I can do it and take it for granted. Yeah. But it probably – it probably it's not that it's going to impact my performance on a normal level. Like I think that's where yeah. the difference is. It's like I'm very grateful for this and I'm, it's like a it's a gift. It's that I can do those five things and still race and, for example, be second at Sunny Coast. But if I want to be – world-class and extremely good then i can't do those five things i just have to focus on this one thing and do it right um yeah yeah and that there's a quote out there there's a quote out there says like we often overestimate what we can do in a day and underestimate what we can do in a year it's it's like that yeah exactly like that exactly like that yeah so you constantly got to be monitoring where how is this going to impact me later down the track um exactly because I can do it and do it really well right now and it, everything will be fine. No one will know, be the wiser, but, yeah, it chips away at something. Mm. So that, that's your strength as as a kind of global athlete. What's the weakness then? Is it that go, 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 or is there, is there um, something else? 
Yeah, I think it probably is. It's just think overthinking yeah. up a bit too much and getting too detailed on. Um, I think, yeah, I can get ahead of myself, like trying to constantly plan everything out. And, um, you know, the times I've run into drama with injury and stuff, it's usually around that where I've been too intense. I can now see it in other athletes. It's interesting. I've picked a few injuries of people when I'm like, I just feel like from the social media and the language that it reminds me of when I get in this like too serious, too, too focused, too, because there's focus, but it has to be like a soft focus on a, you know, rather than a, um, like a, an aggressive focus. Like, and so, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I can get in that mindset. Um, and I think that's fine in the training session, but not in your language and the way you conduct yourself all the time during the day. So um, you can kind of pick that up in social media when people go into this zone of, um, yeah, like almost aggressive race preparation that it's they're on a little bit of a tightrope with um, not being relaxed enough, I think, to properly recover and stuff. And so I can kind of get in that mindset myself, I think, Um yeah. Like I can definitely mm-hmm. switch on focus at training, but it can't be like aggressive focus. It has to be focused on achieving, uh, yeah, the session, um, you know, applying myself to the session as opposed to uh, winning the session. Yeah, it's a difference. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. And I was just about to say, so like the advice for like the listener, the type A uh, young aspiring triathlete or the, you know, the CEO that wants to crush all of 2021, uh, what would you tell them if they're just hyper-focused right now and they want to like chomping at the bit for racing? What, what would you tell them? Well, I think it's important to still, yeah, just apply yourself to the session. If that means that it's easy, it's easy. I mean, I guess we have this conversation with people all the time, but you know, like it, Easy doesn't mean, oh, well, I'm going to go just a little harder than easy so that I dominate everyone in the pool or whatever. <laughs> it just means just take it easy. <laughs> and it's okay, yeah. to, it's okay to smile and be happy and train and, you know, you can still apply yourself to training and enjoy it and be happy and nice and kind. And, um, yeah, I think – that might going in and training like that where you're happy and you're smiling and and things are you know you can you can kind of water off a duck's back everything's you don't sort of dwell on anything you don't care about other people's whatever they're doing um you can still train really well and compared to going in and being aggressive and training um and then you can be nice around training, but then you get in and you're like quite aggressive in the pool or track or whatever. Um, that can get you down a bit of a spiral of overtraining and, and stuff. So I think sort of trying to stay relaxed is it's really important. It's a, it's a hard thing to identify, I think. It's not easy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it takes, you know, it takes years to develop that. I mean, in, and, you know, you've done that in your sport, so you can speak to it now. Probably didn't back in 2008. But um, I, I think that flow of sense and that balance that you've been able to 
um, to reach. I think it showcased in 2017 where you started, you started just winning, right? I mean, uh, ITU long course world champion, Ironman European champion, third at Kona. And <laughs> I think once an athlete starts to get a taste of winning, it's, it's like a drug. It's like an addiction. Tell, tell us more about what that experience is like. Yeah. Well, I think you become, uh, I, I mean, my breakout was probably Cairns Ironman and Asia Pacific championship. That was in June. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty quiet around the race. Like I, I didn't really, I knew I was in super fit form, like ridiculously fit. We'd spent six months of just more training, six months out of the office completely, fully, uh, probably maybe eight or nine months where it, or maybe more by then, but a long time preparing. Um, I knew we'd spent, I dug myself into a pretty deep hole with training and um, racing the year before to get more experience. Um traveling and Cameron was throwing everything at me that year like you know traveling and um in a sense that we're trying to make it throw as many kind of um facets into what a professional you know he wanted me to be fully self-sufficient um and be able that's a good coach by the way that's a good coach yeah like anytime anywhere so I think at the start Mm -hmm. of the year we might have raced we did Bahrain and we raced Dubai and it was like back to the Middle East, back to Australia, you know, um, down to Geelong, down over to Gunda Windy, hell of the West. Like we were going everywhere. Um, races weeks, a week, four times we raced one week apart that year. Um, and it was all just, I guess, building my capability of de- dealing with anything. So in my mind at that Cairns race, I knew that I could cope with any scenario but I didn't know that I could win a, an Ironman regional championship, nor did I know I could go under nine hours. Um, yeah, so we, I I guess I was in front most of the day. So it wasn't really like a, I had to make any strategic racing decisions in that race. Um, and I didn't know I was doing Frankfurt either. I think we signed up that day to do Frankfurt four weeks later. <laughs> Yeah. What? <laughs> but that comes down to me being able to back up, I think, with training. Um, and we'd done so much work that it was all in the legs anyway. So, yeah, look, I think then I started to get more strategic and I learned how to – I mean, I, I think I benefit a lot from ITU. Like I can see stuff happening. Um, I think it's a strength that I do have in racing is that I can see kind of the probability of different things playing out and my best chance of getting my best result in that race – based off decisions at the time, um, yeah. make those choices real quick. Um, for example, on the weekend, there was a scenario in Sunshine Coast where I was obviously off the back and there was a pack ahead of me. I'd rode really hard for the first lap. One girl came from behind. She'd ridden up on my pack, on my well, on my on me, I guess, and I just was catching Ashley Gentle Um so I saw Ash, I eased up, took a rest, saw this girl coming past Ash because we were going through some hilly section and I knew that Els would be coming f- by and then through the hills we dropped Ash and I knew that that was my only chance to get rid of Ashley Gentle was at that point. Um, I guess that <laughs> strategy thinking comes from ITU and work 100%. and everything else that I've but being yeah I guess quite aware and I think you get that awareness because you just 
want to win. Um, you believe you can win. And so you're more engaged in the event as opposed to time trialing. Um, like for example, yeah. had I not, had I missed that moment, I would have been running with Ashley Gentle and at the moment with my current level of fitness, I don't know if that's something that I could have dealt with. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, I think I learned that and it's hard to explain what that is. <laughs> well, I, I say let's, let's, let's talk about it. Cause I think it's a huge thing in an athlete's development and, and it is a hard thing to define or even talk about because I was, as you were describing it, I was just about to say a coach can't give that to an athlete. You can, a coach can develop an athlete physiologically and even psychologically to get him in the right situation. But the athlete then hopefully, you know, has developed some awareness as well of thyself, of the race in order to actually then like flow into competition. Right. Mm. And that's where it starts to get super fun. Because yeah. if say, say it was 2008, you don't have the swim and you're in a high, you know, highly competitive field. Well, you're, you're probably so worried about bridging the gap the entire time. And like you said, time trialing that your strength really couldn't be a strength at that point. Right. Yeah. And so the lack, like you didn't have the awareness. Exactly. You can't, you just had to get you the whole time is a negative thought process too of, Oh gosh, I got to catch up. I got to catch up. Like it's nothing to do with the race going around you. Yeah. Um, so you shore up the weakness to where it's at least not a weakness, but maybe not a strength, but like now you're in the game to play the game. Yeah. You know, and then you make the reads based on, you know, pacing or uh, put the nail in the coffin or whatever the case is to actually win. And, and for me, when I see an athlete there with that awareness playing the game, that's fun. That's really fun. Yeah. I mean, and that's what happened in the ITU world. It's like, mm-hmm. I was like an opportunity. I, I was like, actually licking my lips in that because i pretty much what i'm like what do you mean i don't need to ride on the front we're at the front of the race and then i just have to run really fast it's like is that all i have to do today is <laughs> like um but, you know like that's that's where you ultimately need to get to some people never get that like they can be trained yeah. and they're smart people um but they don't think and you have to think some races, if you're capable, will fall into your hands like cans, I would say. I was just fitter and stronger. Um, yeah. But there's definitely been some races and some scenarios, lots of them, where it's been if I hadn't made certain choices, then there's no way I would have won that race. Um, and so those smarts are developed off of years and years of experience. Um yeah, that's it. I don't think I've ever talked about this with anyone. It's a good, com- good topic, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about yeah. it here. <laughs> um, well, y- y- that mentality, I think, you know, um, it's been said that, uh, you know, winning winning, winning is a habit. You know, you, you like I said, you, you taste it, you want more of it, and you want to do it differently. And I think that's what we saw kind of in 2019 was um, out of you is you started to race kind of in, in different ways and the success continued even into, you know, the tail end of 19. Um, but if we can talk about 2020, it's kind of been a, a hot mess for the world. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry. How, how, how have you, 
How, how, how have you adapted? Well, uh, you know, you're, you're coming, you got this huge streak going. COVID-19 happens. Tell us about Sarah. Yeah, well, it's funny because after Hawaii, Cam and I sat and chatted about how with the PTO and everything happening, we need to be flexible for nine, for 20. And so I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I feel, I, I remember down the pool and uh, the condos that I stayed in Hawaii the next day after the race, I'm swimming like a 4K set. And I'm like, Cam, we're racing again in three weeks. There's, I have to say yes to Noosa like today. We're doing it. And he's like, okay. So I did the Noosa try. And then I was like, after that, I had to make the choice on Arizona. I'm like, we're doing it. We're going to Arizona. And um, <laughs> I'm fine. Everything's fine. I knew I'd be pushing adrenal fatigue by then, but we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> you back up well, though, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Except after that race, I was like the Michelin man. I'm like, okay, the year is definitely over. I'm going to get sick if I yeah. do one more training session. But yeah. Um, yeah. I did Arizona with the intention of, opening up 2020 to doing whatever I needed to do and so for me it actually panned out in a really good way like I've qualified for Hawaii so when all this COVID dropped for me I'm like well I'm pretty flexible right now I've qualified for everything already um Mm -hmm. I've had four full gas years of training we needed I just needed that time like I've said in the past where I've gone back to work for a bit or I've done something different and so, um, yeah, I guess this year I've kind of built a little business of my own, like with, um, yeah, a friend of mine, we're doing like, um, I guess sort of media and marketing stuff. Um, so we've built that up. Um, I've just tried to. Is that the YouTube channel? Oh, I don't have a YouTube. Well, I don't use it that much. It's mostly on my Instagram TV, but yeah, like, oh, okay. we're okay. going to try and like support other athletes with, um, brand marketing and stuff. Um, ah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's been fun. So, um, yeah, so Dale and I have been doing that. And I guess I've, yeah, I've just focused. I just sort of changed. I stepped away my mindset from that, I guess, every day being about getting better or whatever to just chilling and enjoying training. Um, One thing I did notice for me, though, I can't be, I'm like completely just almost humoring the training squad with my training and being at like a level and just training at that level all year. And then something clicked, these races were committed and then it's like, boom, I'm back into this, uh, I guess more, um, focused training mindset. So I'm very pleased with myself that I was actually able to do that. Um, it probably looked like I was just swanning around for, you know, four or five months but I actually kind of was like I, and it was an intention that I was, I think Cam got annoyed, but I, I didn't want to have, for me, I can't be the focused person um, when there was no need for it in my mind. And I, I know yeah. I probably probably gave up some gains or something during that time. But for me, psychologically, I've had a rest and then we go to sunny coast on the weekend and I had an absolute ball and I realized why I love, triathlon so for everyone out there that hasn't had the chance to race if you've been able to just like chill back on training and then once a race is committed focus on it and then you get to race it's the most unbelievable feeling and you realize you're racing for you and that you love it uh because in queensland with covid safe rules on the weekend there was no finish line celebration or or anything it's kind of strange but the self uh gratification and achievement of actually just completing a race and 
the mindset of all the other athletes as well. Like, I mean, this will obviously change as pe- things turn to normal, but everyone was just more focused on themselves. Um, you know, like I just got beaten by Amelia. She had a great race. I didn't get angry at myself or her or any other athlete for the performance. And so I think because sometimes you can get caught up in, oh, that athlete did this and that, and you just don't. It wasn't like that at all. It was like everyone's been through like a pretty rough year um, and everyone was just having a great time racing and the result was the result. But, yeah, I think I think for me that that time spent just – not really caring too much about it, but still training for the first half of the year is going to pay dividends by the end of perhaps next year or even the year after or even another year after that that maybe I wouldn't have raced. Like I don't know how long, you you know, it's a pretty intense sport, right? Like your body only has a certain amount of yards for it. And so I think, you know, it could have – I feel like it's extended my career. Um, So I I, kind of went into it with that mindset, but then I was in a unique position of – four years of epic training um, and having that, oh, we do actually need to step back a bit or you won't last much longer. Um, so I think for me I, was, I just really embraced that chance to kind of just and, – and also I went places. So, you know, I guess we went up to Noosa so that I could swim still because the pool shut and I got to enjoy training up at Noosa for a couple of months and things like that. So I – I think for me it was, yeah, it was good. Um, (laughs) And then just, yeah, that intensity started to build as I came back to Brisbane. We squad started and then the focus, you know, I layered in the focus. Um, So I'm excited by amount of gains that I can make now um, in the next six months or so, I think. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I think you're yet to see what the past four or five months of just really unplugging is going to do for your career, for sure. I mean, it's just from the sounds of it, um, because when you're at the level that you are and, or you've pushed your body, you know, beyond <laughs> to Michelin man status, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's a really big overreach overtrain, whatever you want to call it. And they're I'm not advocating that listeners do this, but, uh, when you see athletes that can push to that level as a coach, you want to dial that back, seize the opportunity of rest and recovery or whatever, because that super compensation time period that can last a long time, or even the, the psychological adaptation that can occur with a, a nice big break. It's huge. It's huge. So I'm, I'm excited to see what's, what's, what's going to happen with you in your racing. Yeah. Um, I was shocked. Like I honestly hadn't ran. I don't think I'd done a run over like 20 so many kilometers and then on the weekend I was just in so much control and you could feel all the k's I'm like this is four or five years of kilometers in these legs right now like I'm like I'm not taking it for granted because we're training like we're not not training um but it was like wow I you know all that hard work is and it's in such a relaxed way like I was so relaxed it was yeah it's good so I think yeah, I'm looking forward to things. I mean, hopefully everything keeps going back to normal slowly. It's, you know. Yeah, fingers crossed, <laughs> knock on wood. Um, excuse me. And I think they will, but in the meantime, if, if we don't have, uh, you know, if we can't go to Queensland and, and do some socially distant races and whatnot, 
uh, I know that there is the DIY try going on and one of your sponsors is putting that on. Can you tell us more about what that may be? Yeah. So Canyon's pulling together a, a little training block that you can, uh, get engaged with. Um, and there'll be some, I guess some online, um, tutorial type stuff as well and some training and things leading into what I believe to be a little event on the same day that Kona will have been on. Um, yeah, that's right. So I think it's kind of cool. I mean, like if you don't have an event, it kind of gets you back on a normal schedule with racing. Maybe it's time to start dusting things off. I know a lot of people have still been training, but it's hard to say. I think people probably went pretty hard early on the indoor trainer stuff and then maybe they're losing a bit of mojo now. So it's probably a good idea as another opportunity to kind of start building into something that may tie then into the recommencement of a normal training schedule and season so hopefully we're going to look at Hawaii for next year at the same time so it kind of could kick you off with a little have a little race then have a little rest and then start training back in for next year so it's just another opportunity to kind of get involved um I think Canyon's got some giveaways maybe I'm not sure Adam maybe what you've heard in that regard that's Something people should well, we, do it maybe. And- yeah, we might have a special guest appearing at the tail end of this episode, i.e. JB, to tell us more. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted to at least mention it, and we'll get perhaps more details later. Yeah. Um, but we're coming up. We're coming up to the top of the hour, and um, Sarah, I, first of all, just thank you for spending so much time uh, chatting with us and, and helping us learn more about you and, and uh, how to train better. But um, I have a few a few questions for you. To uh, little takeaways for our listeners that they can just apply right away to their training, okay. and then we'll wrap up and, and uh, carry on with our with our day. So, first question is for, and we touched on this a little bit already before listeners missing competition right now, but it's just not there. What can you tell them to stay focused, even though they don't they can't scratch that itch? Yeah, I think my main philosophy this year has been now this I guess it may not keep you focused but it is to actually just enjoy the training for what it is don't stress do little mini uh like do things that you wouldn't normally have the chance to do and allow yourself to do them so I've been on little trips in Queensland like little drives and we've done training in a different place so Stradbroke Island Harvey Bay whatnot Noosa And normally that stuff is off the cards because you just don't even have time for the travel, the whatever life. Um, And so I think give yourself the chance to enjoy what you love um, because you – so many times in my life I've thought triathlon's an amazing thing to do but you're actually not enjoying it in the moment a lot of the time and you think, oh, I could have done this race. I did this race. I could have done this touristy thing or I could have done this, but I didn't because I did a triathlon. And theoretically it looks glamorous that you could do all these cool things to do with the sport. And I think it's the time now is to actually enjoy that. Um, A race will come up and just make sure your training's kind of at the level where press the button 12 weeks and you can, you can compete and don't get too hooked up on needing to be in world-class your best lifetime fitness for that first race because there's still a long road between what's coming up in the next few months and where we need to be in 
the you know the later part of next year when the world championship events start uh kicking off so yeah i think that's my advice that's how i've approached it anyway yeah that's i I couldn't agree more that's a really good answer really good answer all right question two if someone wants to improve their swim leg like you have but they have no clue where to start what would you tell them well i think um I was lucky that I sought a coach out. Okay, so sorry to their current coaches out there. But if it's something that means a lot <laughs> to you, <laughs> if it means a lot to you, um, or you've, first of all, exhausted getting fitter at swimming. So a lot of the time people don't swim enough in try. Um, so exhaust that option first. Just get in the pool more and make it easier for yourself to enjoy swimming. So pool boy paddles or whatever. I'm not a coach, but the more freestyle you can do, the more swimming you do, so the better you get um, and the fitter at swimming you get. Um, if you've exhausted that and then you don't know what to do next, it's you need to make a conscious decision to seek out someone that's, um, I guess, improved, has a history of improving swimming or, and that's often the hardest thing, is that you actually probably do need then have to have it looked at like you and then be open very open-minded um with the changes if you trust that person um because for me mine you will probably go backwards and I did definitely did but um in the long run it's it's paid off um it's not an easy thing to fix swimming Uh, it's hard it's easy for me to sit here having done it to say just do this but um it's not an actual easy thing because for me, one of Cameron's strengths as a coach is to not apply a cookie cutter swimming approach. Like we're not all Michael Phelps. Um, everyone's got a different body shape, different flexibility, different range of motion. And so different technique things have to be applied to the individual. Um, and so if you can at least find someone that perhaps thinks like that where they're going to give you something that's specific to you and how you move in the water and that will make you better, then, you know, maybe look for someone like this. But, yeah, it's a big call. Um, And like I said, it's easy for me to sit here having improved my swim and made a probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Um, But I I didn't have hindsight at that point. So, yeah. Yeah, well, two steps back for six steps forward, basically for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, uh, third question. What is the number one thing you love about your sport? Oh, the people, I think. I love it how in – yeah, like it's cool. It's um, People are more than helpful and there's a good – like there's a tight core kind of community of people that – they'll do anything for you. Um, I really noticed that this year with guess no racing and stuff. Um, I've kind of spent this year kind of reconnecting as much as possible with as many people as possible. And people don't hold grudges in the sport at all. Like everyone's just always happy. (laughs) Um, And I think (laughs) it's just a mindset because you do so much training that's so hard that I think – People can't afford to spend the time hating on people for life. Like I just, it's amazing, you know, because there's some pretty funny stories in triathlon, right? Like yeah, <laughs> I guess for sure. the same in any sport, but no one's held 
like no one's held grudges over people. So I think the people in the sport make it, um, you know, from people like, you know, I guess your Bob Babbitts and Mike Riley's and that, that, you know, have all the history and the nostalgia of try to, you know, some of your high level coaches and, you know, just the people like Belinda Granger and all that, that plug it all together. Um, you know, it's, it's a just, though that's what makes the sport, um, really cool for me as a professional because I have just a great time around every event and those are the people the people make that I think um I just love that about it yeah that's cool well I, I'd be compelled if I didn't ask a curiosity question so call a question for where do we see Sarah Crowley in five years I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I'm focused at the moment I'm going back to my uh, level of fitness so that I can race Ironman cans in like less than two weeks. <laughs> um, <laughs> then, That's probably the best answer during a pandemic yeah. <laughs> and everything else that we have going on. on the- uh, but I figured I'd, I'd throw it out there with this newfound vision after the COVID break and all this kind of stuff. Well, I mean, in the, tomorrow they'll confirm if it's still going ahead. So it's like... It's it took a week here. Um, <laughs> but I'll be heading over to America actually after it. I've got a travel exemption to be able to compete at the um, Challenge Daytona, which I'm very excited about. Um, evidently that, that's, cool. that's super cool. And I think, you know, like, I mean, the main thing for the meantime and the short term is it's great to see the PTO like supporting a lot of little races around the world to keep us in the job. So, um, but yeah, like I said, I've pivoted a little bit to do some marketing around brands and how I see it is as long as there's, uh, there's people in the world that want to exercise, there's going to be products that people want, need to use like bikes, for example. And then, you know, from that we can, I can, you know, with this little business, I'm going to sort of get going. It's like, we, we can market that stuff. So there's always a need for that. So in the long run, that's kind of like the long play. Um, but that's second, gotcha. definitely a second fiddle to, to the racing, um, in the next, in the next, well, the foreseeable future anyway. Cool. Very cool. Well, for our listeners who uh, think that you're very cool and they want to follow you on social media, where can they find you? Oh, on the Grammy Gram mostly. The uh, Grammy Gram. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty flash. I've got a pretty flash Instagram these days. Um, <laughs> well, well, we'll put that yeah, in our show out. notes for sure, as well as your website and the YouTube links and all that kind of stuff. Meanwhile, Google Sarah. You can probably find her if you're looking for her. And, um, gosh, this was a really good conversation, Sarah. So thank you again for, for joining us on the train right podcast. Pleasure. Um, always happy to have a chat with peeps and to get the message out to everyone to just chill and going long, by the way, this is my legacy is not always better. So that's totally my thing. It's like, if you just want to do try and enjoy it because you work and a little try is fun for you. Don't let people make you think that you have to like basically divorce your family and not see them for like months to train for an Ironman that you don't know that you even want to do and you spent all this money. I do like Ironman, don't get me wrong, but then I enjoy it and not everybody does. And so I just think that, you know, make sure that you're true to what you actually want to do in the sport. Um, 
that's my legacy. <laughs> that's super good advice. Yeah. Just, just start, just start going, yeah. just try it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you, Sarah. Pleasure. All right. So I just got done talking with Sarah Crowley and she said to talk to you, Jeremiah, about this DIY try going on. Can you tell our listeners more about the details of that? Well, a DIY tries super exciting uh, end of year promotion from Canyon to encourage people to get out there, get back in shape, uh, race, and they have chances to win prizes. So it's, um, yeah, really just born out of the need for uh, getting people active, getting people to dust their bikes off, get in shape, uh, and go do a try of any distance on their own October 24th. And there are a bunch of great partners on board. Um, and you'll see a big push uh, pretty much here on the third week of September to get people to sign up. Uh, so the real kickoff of the campaign is on September 24th. But um, yeah, it'll be ongoing uh, throughout the end of September and deep into October. Uh, and we're pretty excited because we're going to revive the Canyon 360 Labs on YouTube along with Dan Amfield and have a bunch of uh, distinguished guests, including Sarah Crowley. And uh, yeah, it's just a really neat opportunity uh, to get people motivated to get back out there and, and stay in shape. Very cool. So, so this is, so this is like a virtual challenge or like challenge in place sort of thing. Like people train for it and then they do it. They, they do a, a what on, on the 24th whatever they want. You know, that's the thing is, you know, this is just about committing to do triathlon or in my case, try triathlon. Like, you know, that's, that's kind of the fun thing about this. I've never right. done one before. I mean, it's almost unbelievable. I've spent an entire career um, doing endurance athletics and, you know, I've gotten the invite but, but this is a good, good reason to do it, you know, and jump in and, and be involved. And, um, the idea is any distance triathlon, use the hashtag Canyon DIY try on social media for chances to win awesome prizes. And yeah, it's just a, about stoking your friends up to get out there and do something and, uh, you know, stay in shape. A lot of us have good summer fitness from all mm -hmm. the training we've been doing, but few chances to really like test ourselves. So I think the idea here um, is most people will do Olympic distance or 70.3 distance. Um, yep. You know, I, I doubt there'll be a whole lot of people that are doing Ironman distance, but there might be a few. There might be a few. I, th I think there'll definitely be a few and I, I can't wait to see it. But um, the idea is uh, try from home. So I kind of don't like the, not, not don't like the term, virtual, but I think the term virtual is misleading. It's yeah. definitely not, uh, you know, as whiffed in your basement type thing. When I think of virtual, that's, you know, kind of a little more of that, that framework, but, um, yeah, yeah well, DIY, I'm do DIY try. I mean, do, do it yourself, try do it yourself at yeah, home. That's yep. perfect. Yeah. Yeah, cool. totally. So I think in, in my case, you know, I'm looking to do a point to point and I haven't picked the course yet, but it, it's going to be really fun. I mean, that's going to be half the fun of this thing. Well, knowing you, Jeremiah, it's probably going to be a, a touch on the epic side. I'm guessing, uh, you know, at least the bike bike leg. That's my style. <laughs> I, I have to do something interesting and just, you know, yeah, challenge myself and and have fun with it. And I think the neat thing 
is if it's a do-it-yourself try, you might as well open, you know, your mind a little bit to some things you might do differently. Yeah, no, to, absolutely. So, and, and probably, you know, a lot of our listeners listening to this, like, oh, I never thought about that. Do, do your own triathlon. So if they are curious and they want to prepare for this, whether it's their first triathlon or if they, you know, just have like some general fitness, I know you reached out to me and said, Hey, let's build some training programs. I built those. Where could they find those training programs? Well, those training programs can be found if you search DIY try on training peaks. Um, and also you can search under, uh, author Adam yep. Pulford mm-hmm. and those will pull right up. And, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty neat, uh, opportunity for folks to, uh, get a really nice tune up block. I think just a, a few good weeks of training will feel good. And, you know, I think it's sometimes just about having a carrot to chase and anytime when I have a event on the horizon or something to train for or something I told my friends to do, especially, uh, it's like putting a heat underneath the burner. So I think it's going to be really fun. Um, I've already done a couple swims, so I'm just like, you know, giddy, just, just trying to, you know, find out what's going to happen. (laughs) It's going to be worth tuning into. I guarantee that. Yeah. Well, okay. So tuning into if, if, uh, our listeners want to tune into what is going on with you and and Canyon on the socials, where, where can they find you guys? Well, you can definitely check us out on Canyon NA's, um, Instagram account, Mm-hmm. And there'll be some information as well on Facebook. Um, and then the sign up you'll see as links off of the social, um, the social links, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's the kind of thing that we will have multiple different prongs to it. Um, for some really good content on the video side, I'm going to be hosting the 360 lab, um, sort of try Ted talks, uh, with Dan Enfield who, um, yeah, is the architect behind slow twitch, uh, the online magazine, so to speak. Um, and yeah, the guy's quite, quite a triathlon legend and, uh, yes, it's going to be super cool. We'll have a bunch of guests on there. Um, that's going to be on YouTube live every Friday, starting on September 25th. Yeah, actually October 2nd. So our first episode is on October 2nd and we've got a great lineup, uh, sort of cast of characters, so to speak. So it's going to be really neat and honestly a a great chance for me to learn and ask a bunch of dumb questions. Of course, we'll have Dan on there asking a bunch of expert questions and I'm really glad that he'll be uh, sort of backing me up with some, uh, you know, great um, history. Um, But we'll have lab one will be, Intro to DIY Try, cautionary tale from vegan cyclists. We'll also have Try Taren, who is a really famous um, YouTuber. Uh, Try Taren has uh, got a ton of followers and has some great content. Um, also, we'll have yourself on there if we're lucky enough. Um, Scott and Carrie <laughs> Lester, um, or Scott DeFilippis and Carrie Lester, will be on for lab number two in October. 9th october 16th we've confirmed lionel sanders so um really cool we're going to talk about lionel's hobbies you know like model trains or whether he does like you know parkour in his off season i don't know 
but it should be cool. Sarah Crowley, we're going to have on October 23rd. And then we're going to have an awards and recap on October 30th. Um, yeah, with some video highlights and sort of social media highlights and things like that. So it should be really fun and um, looking forward to it. Awesome, man. Well, uh, we'll be sure to put those links and resources in our show notes as well. So for the listeners who, you know, want to win some stuff, get challenged and, uh, do your own try, um, go to those show notes, check out what Jeremiah is cooking over there. And, um, that's yet again, you, you know, another cool thing that we're queuing up for everybody on the train, right? Podcast as we head into the, the winter time of this pandemic, got to keep you guys going. So Jeremiah, thank you so much for cueing us in on what you guys are, are doing over there. Super appreciate you guys. And we'll be in touch. Right on. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for joining us this week on the Trainwright Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to visit our website at trainwright.com forward slash podcast, where you can find social links, bonus content, and more about CTS. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a show and leave us a rating on iTunes. Until next time, train hard, train smart, train right.